So, Jared, I know me and you met last year, and I was excited to talk to you because I've never had a police chaplain on the podcast. And nor is the subject really raised too much in church safety and security. So I'm really excited to talk to you. So firstly, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Uh, maybe tell my audience then a little bit about who you are. If you don't mind sharing a little bit about your faith journey, perhaps, and then how you ended up being a police chaplain. Sure. I grew up in the church and my parents were Christians, took me to church every week. We were the ones who came early and stayed late. And I did not think that I would become a pastor in a church, although I had when I was a little boy, our church pastor said, someday you're going to grow up and be a preacher. And I thought, no, I'm not. And I was sure that I was going to go on a different track all the way up through high school. But eventually I did end up going to Bible college and getting a seminary degree. And uh, I've been in, in church work my entire adult life. Now, that being said, I wasn't really thinking much about police officers unless they were in my rearview mirror. Uh, so so I didn't, didn't really give much thought to it, but God kept putting police officers in my church. And so I developed a good bond with a lot of them, grew very fond of police officers and also military veterans and had a good opportunity to minister to them and to their families and also to make mistakes. A first responder family has a different kind of stress about their loved one going to work than an accountant or any other job, really. And so it is a learning curve to overcome, to pastor these people and to be effective in ministering to them and to their families. So that eventually did lead to me becoming a police chaplain. And I belong to a chaplain association that provides chaplains to the fire department and police department and sheriff's office here in Wyandotte County, Kansas. So we're on the, the Kansas side of the Kansas City Metro. And it's a medium to large size department, uh, very urban. And although my part of Kansas City is kind of rural, so we kind of have a, a spectrum of very inner city to very suburban and even rural parts of our city. And we, our department is, you know, a high intensity, a high call volume department. So lots of stress. We get a lot of young police officers that transfer to our department because they want to see action. And that is very stressful to them, very difficult. Uh, and as a police chaplain, I get called out to uh, unattended deaths. So suicides, homicides, accidental deaths, uh, natural deaths. Anytime a doctor is not present, I get called out. And those police officers see everything. They see murders. They see traffic accidents. They see all kinds of things. And this happens fairly regularly. And that creates a trauma for them that often goes unattended. And there are good resources for first responders, for firefighters and police officers to get help, but they often don't seek it. They are by nature people who accept risk. And so they are used to running into burning buildings and going toward the sound of gunfire. And so they don't seek out help as readily as maybe the rest of us would. And so that's where a police chaplain can kind of function in, in a second role. The first role is to go help you know, people on a crime scene, help the civilians. But the second role is to provide pastoral support to those first responders and to go give them encouragement and support and to be another tool, another tool in the toolbox for them when they want help with their marriage or overcoming alcoholism or suicidal thoughts. They can go to counselors, they can go to peer support, but a chaplain provides a different flavor of help. 
because I'm actually in the police station. I go to roll calls and I do ride alongs. I've been in the car with them. I've been out in the field with them. And so I already speak their language. And a common incident that happens with first responders is they'll go to a counselor and they realize in the process of telling their story that they are frightening the counselor because the counselor is shocked at the stuff that they do and what they see, where a chaplain has been acclimated to that. A police chaplain has, like I said, been on the scene. We've seen the dead bodies. We know what the sights and the smells are, and uh, that provides them a helper that is already acclimated and speaks their language. Man, there's there's a lot in there already for me to unpack. <laughs> and I'm, I'm making a few notes as you were talking there, and I think from my journey, I know when we met last year, I wasn't too sure how much I shared with you of my journey, but obviously I served 14 years in the British police, and I can remember joined when I was 19, so very young. Uh-huh. And I was telling a story to a girlfriend of mine, and I was probably 21, 22, so she would have been similar age. And I can remember seeing the look of shock and horror on her face. Yeah. And I, I went yeah. back to work the following day, told told a friend and said, hey, this is what happened. He said, Simon, he said, she's not in her world. You shouldn't tell her those stories. Um, you know, and I was very young and even my wife now have been married, was it 16, 17 years? There's many stories in the police that she doesn't know about things that I did because from that day, I really made that pact not to share the things that I was seeing or doing. And as a result of that, as exactly what you said, it, it leads into that that stress and trauma. And I can remember uh, Jimmy Meeks, I don't know if you know Jimmy Meeks from Sheepdog Church Security, he said to me many years ago, it could be four, four or five years ago, he said the body isn't designed to deal with that level of trauma. Um, you know, and I think it's, that's very true, very true. It's also very isolating. A lot of officers start to lose friendships. The friend group that they were in when they started their police career, those people start to drop out of their lives because the officer is legitimately alienated because they're going through things and, and experiencing traumas, ex- experiencing critical incidents that most people are not going to experience one or two in their entire life. They experience maybe that many per week. And, yeah. and so that alienates them a little bit. And then it kind of begins to snowball where an officer can tell that they don't have their same old group of friends and they feel different than everybody else. And so they assume that they are different and that they don't have anyone they can talk to. They don't have anything in common. And that creates a problem when a first responder then comes into the church that oftentimes they find themselves sitting on the periphery, looking in from the outside and feeling alienated, even though they want to be at church, they want to worship God, they they don't feel connected to the other worshipers. And that's problematic. I like what you said there, because I was thinking my dear mother back in England is about to turn 82 years old, but uh, she said... Many years ago, I heard her telling someone, she was saying, you know, Simon's changed since he was in the police and sort of, you know, I was I was on the fringes of the conversation. I was sort of like earwigging to what she was um, saying. And I think, you know, she she was right. But I think there's some changes that you that you go through that you can't necessarily there's nothing you can do about them. I mean, I was I think I was 21 as a young officer when I used to go to a woman who was the victim of domestic violence. And I left one day and said, the next time I come here, the husband's going to have murdered her. Um, And I didn't think it was going to happen so soon. I got a call around two weeks later. I was on my own um, and he murdered her. 
and she died in my arms. Um, and I've, I've interviewed men that have murdered their, their sons over drug deals that have gone wrong. I've interviewed men that have sexually abused their children. You know, there's, there's all this brokenness and stuff that you, that you have to deal with. And I think my mum was right to say to someone, you know, that Simon was once a sweet little boy, but, but now he's changed and the police have changed him. But I don't see when you're living in that level of brokenness, I don't see how you can not change. And it's perhaps not something that police officers want to do, but, but it does change you for the very nature of the type of crimes that you that you see. I mean, one of my biggest cases was the liquid bomb terrorism plot in 2006. Yeah. Um, and these were um, extremists that wanted to get onto a plane, hijack planes and kill hundreds of, of people. I mean, sharing those stories, people do look at you like you're a, almost like you're the monster because it becomes every day in, in how you talk about it. So I think when I hear about police officers really under fire right now in the modern era, I don't think the public really understand what it takes to do that job and, and how much hurt and pain they're seeing. And as Jimmy Meeks said, the body isn't designed to take that amount of trauma. So you know, I'm not surprised when it spits out in a, in a bad way. Yeah, the trauma is not just that they see dead bodies and blood and mutilation. That That is traumatic. That absolutely is. Mm. But it's also seeing wickedness and evil and inhumanity. That yeah. That is morally damaging to a person mm. to witness that kind of cruelty and barbarity. And, yeah. and a police officer, especially, I mean, the emergency personnel, firefighters and EMS, they definitely see more of the the blood and gore. Yeah. But a police officer sees that, some of it, and then also the cruelty and the the wickedness that people can perpetrate on their loved ones. And that is so wounding. It's a type of moral injury that an officer receives. And so this yeah. is why, for me, it's so important to embed a helper with the police officer. So somebody is there on scene with them as that's happening and that they have support that understands what they've seen. And, yeah. and that's, that's what a police chaplain does. And it's really changed my understanding of what our first responders and military people go through and how better to minister to them, how better to you know implement them when you're building a church security team, you naturally are gonna to gravitate toward your police officers and say, hey, can you help, help run a church security team or can you help participate? And uh, that's not a bad thing to do. It's not bad to ask them, but like I said, they're not like everybody else. They've had a different set of experiences that has unquestionably had an impact on them. And it's true what you said. Um, I mean, my wife often says this to me. She says, Simon, is there anyone that you trust? And I say, trust, but verify. And, yes. and, and yeah. that's yeah. because of, you know, that's because of how I was raised. You know, I joined law enforcement at 19. I was 33 when I left and I'd seen um, so much, as you said, mentioned wickedness in between. I mean, I've seen some, yeah. some, some wicked, wicked people and it's how I've changed is I always trust, but verify, you know, yeah. you, you always need to, to verify stuff. So yeah. it is hard. So keeping it on the sort of a church theme then, so we know these police officers under immense strain. Not many departments in the US right now um, have it easy. Everyone is criticizing them. Whatever they do seems to be to be wrong. Uh, what can churches do, and maybe specifically church safety teams that are closely aligned to police officers, uh, what, what can churches do to help 
our law enforcement um, right now with some of uh, the trauma and um, things that they're going through? Well, there's a multifaceted approach you have to take. Like I said, as I've, uh, as I've begun to understand officers better, I've realized some of the mistakes that I've been making. And so I've made assumptions about them or just didn't consider what they were going through that was an error on my part as a church pastor. And so a lot of folks, you expect them to, to participate regularly, but a lot of police officers and other first responders work shift work, which means they may not know from one month to the next or from one quarter to the next what days their days off will be. You know, a lot of jobs, you know what your day off will be five years from now because you always have weekends off. Well, their weekend's going to shift or the day, the time of day they work will shift, especially in smaller agencies. And so if you say, hey, I want a, a police officer to participate in a ministry here at our church, whether it's security or something else entirely, you have to understand that from one part of the year to the next, they may not be available because they're working. And one of the tolls on their family is that they're going to miss holidays and special events and going to church and things like that. And so you have to be a little more uh, understanding of the kind of work schedule they have and the limited amount of control that they have, especially early in their career. And then you have this balance that you have to take with a police officer, because on the one hand, you shouldn't avoid asking them to participate in church security. They probably are your resident expert. They probably have a good knowledge base to bring to the table, a lot of experience, a lot of savviness that, that would be very useful to your congregation. But I also, you have to balance that against, against assuming that they want to, because a lot of police officers, they are so worn out on crisis decision-making they don't want to come to church and be on duty. I was going to say, it's like a job away from a job, isn't it? Really? Yes, husband's holiday. Yes, Yeah, exactly. they, they take, the, take the uniform off, and then we ask them to then do it again on Sunday. And we're like, exactly. well, I suppose I can do, but yeah, it's very true. I, I would, if I'm approaching a police officer about working church security, I would include that in my the beginning of my pitch as I'm recruiting them. I would say, hey, I understand you might not want to do this, um, you might just want to give a little behind the scenes support or not do that this year at all. Mm. I understand that you may not want to. So I would couch that in those terms. But at the same time, you're going to have some officers where because they feel alienated from the church and the people in the church, they might actually be more comfortable standing on guard outside. And then you have to ask yourself pastorally, is that good for them? Should I mm. let them avoid people by staying out on guard, being on duty and, you know, having a radio and standing outside the worship center, maybe the right thing for them pastorally would be not asking them to do that. So it forced them to sit with their family yeah. and be a normal person for an hour. And so that's a case by case basis. There are some police officers that they would love to serve in that way. Others would love to serve in that way for bad reasons you know, for unhealthy emotional reasons. Mm. So you have to get to know these officers and know which category of officer you're talking to. Is this one who can serve and can be a leader in your security team? Or is this one who really probably shouldn't participate right now? Maybe a year or five years from now, he can do it. But right now is not a great time. He really would be better served. It'd be better pastoral care of him to let him sit with his family. 
And it's interesting you say that because I was thinking you know, a lot of police officers under a lot of stress and strain uh, and perhaps with it being in the church, yes, a police officer is never off duty, but there's also that we don't want them to suddenly, and maybe snap's the wrong word, but we don't want them to suddenly say or do something that they might do on the street when they're stressed is okay, but in a church environment, um, that that's not what we'd want to happen in ministry because on the street they're used to being, they have to be the tough guy because there's also a survival aspect of their of their role as well. And in church security is very much placid and, and making sure we're de-escalating and understanding where people are coming from. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot for them to really, really deal with. Interestingly, you know, as we talk about this, I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, but maybe on church safety teams, you find across the country, it could be an IT director, it could be someone that work, might work in healthcare, they could work in a convenience store. There's, there's so many different people, you know, a lot of retired people in church security that haven't had that exposure as a police officer. I wonder, Jared, is there a missed opportunity to to minister to people on the safety teams that they're they're hearing about? Maybe a, a husband who's abusing his wife, or a wife abusing the husband, or sexual misconduct, or someone who's struggling with finances, and maybe they've stolen something that they wouldn't ordinarily do. You know, there these volunteers are seeing the world as a law enforcement officer, but perhaps they don't have the support as well to learn how to sort of process what they're seeing and hearing. Because one thing about being a law enforcement officer is that once you see it, you, you can't unsee it. Um, and there's a lot of civilians, I say civilians, but there's a lot of people in church security that are volunteers that haven't had that exposure as a police officer to then see that brokenness in the world. I wonder how how they process it or what support um, is there for them? Well, see, that may be an opportunity to utilize and give a ministry responsibility to a police officer in your church that you may not have thought about. Instead of just putting them on duty out front in the security team, what about having a police officer debrief your other security team members? Because if they're seeing stuff and if they are, you know, you might have armed security in some places, and that's kind of a learning curve, too, for somebody. For somebody that's not used to carrying, uh, that's a big responsibility. And maybe they've never carried a weapon inside of a church building before. And that's kind of, you know, a big thing for them to overcome mentally. There are a lot of facets to church security that a police officer, especially one who is more mature and has a little bit more experience, they've gone through this learning curve. They've gone through this process. And so they might do a really good job of mentoring and debriefing and counseling the rest of your team. And so it's not necessarily ideal to have him out at the main door. It might be better to have him at the meeting on a Tuesday night where he's talking and letting people kind of have an open forum and talk about what they've seen and what, you know, maybe they had a, an incident at the church and we're going to debrief that that officer may be a great person to do the debriefing. Yeah, that's a great idea. Great idea. And what about you then as a chaplain? How can you support uh, a church safety team? So I know I've got a couple of friends here in Minnesota that are chaplains. Uh, how, how can you support a church safety team in their function? What would that look like? Well, a, a law enforcement chaplain would have some experience because we do a lot of training with the police officers uh, we have an interest in this field. Sometimes a chaplain, it might be former law enforcement himself or herself, 
And so a lot of times they might have an overlap there where they would just have expertise or wisdom to bring. But I feel, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a church pastor. That's my day job. I, I preach on Sunday and teach classes and counsel people. And so I see that being a police chaplain has tuned, has helped me tune in to officers and how best to relate to them, to help them overcome that feeling of alienation where they feel like they're a part of the group, but not part of the group, that they're always on the outside looking in. They always feel alienated. I feel like I'm bet in a better position to mitigate that. I'm in a better position to help ease them into the group because of my experience with them out on the job. So a question that just came to my mind then. So who protects the protectors? So as a police chaplain and a pastor outside of the Lord, you know, who is there supporting you? Where where do, where do you get your support when you're going on these calls and seeing yep. murders and yeah. Uh, domestic violence and, and all the bad things that happen in the world. As a pastor, you see it, but when you're a chaplain, you're, you're there in the trenches, stood yeah. next to officers. So who, where, where do you seek your support outside of the Lord? Yeah, we often say that police officers are trash cans that everybody dumps their trouble into. All of the family dysfunction and, and abuse and violence, it all gets dumped into the police officer and he's the trash can. Well, then the chaplain becomes the trash can that the other trash cans dump into. And so it's important for a police chaplain and any other helper, including a pastor or, or anybody else, anybody that's helping, you have to go find help. You can't tough it out. You can't feel like, oh, I'm not affected. I'll be okay. These are traumas. I was on call this week, and I got called out to a dead body every day this week a suicide, a natural death, um, an accidental death. I have spent several hours just this week next to dead bodies with blood everywhere. I don't feel different today, but it's critical that I go talk to somebody. And one of the best things we can do, uh, apart from, of course, our faith and all the practices of our faith, but one of the best things we can do is storytell our trauma. And so I have other police chaplains who've been where I've been, and I can call them up and I can just debrief. I can just say, hey, this is what I saw. And they'll ask me, how do you feel? And uh, are you noticing anything different in your sleep patterns, your eating patterns or anything like that? How are you doing relating to other people? Are you having nightmares? They'll ask me all those questions. And usually, usually I'm fine, but not always. And so it's important that I am checking in with people and I'm doing the very same thing I would ask an officer to do. I'd ask an officer to go to, to their department counselor or to go to peer support or to talk to another chaplain. I need to do the same thing. I need to go talk to somebody and story tell my trauma and get it out. God made us to communicate. God is a God who communicates. He's given us his word. We need to communicate, and that is how we overcome some of the horrible things we see in this broken world. And for a safety team, I mean, they, they don't need permission to do this. This is just something that they should they should be doing. Like I said, yep. you know, there's, there's many people in church safety and security that are serving tirelessly and giving up a lot of um, time to make sure their their inner community is safe and they should feel no judgment in reaching out to someone because they are going to yeah. hear and see things in their yeah. community that they never even knew existed it's, it's funny me and my family was before the holiday season we went to uh there's a sort of a, a food pantry type place here close to where i live where you actually you, you're making the food for the homeless 
and it's in the town where I live and we, my two sons, 10 and 13, they came and we were like grating cheese and cutting potatoes and all this stuff. And I said to them, I said, you know, do you think there's homeless people um, here in, in the town where we live? And they said, no, I don't think there's anyone like that. I said, what, what about at your school? And they said, no. And I said, you know, I said, there will be. These people are in your community. Yeah. Um, you know, it's our way to help them. And I think that's a little bit of a uh, similar to church security that, that my son's eyes were open, that what there's, there's people that don't have food inside my school, dad. Yes. You know, that there's people that don't have the things we have. Yes, there is. And church safety teams, their eyes are open to the trauma in the world. Um, and they yeah. can't unsee that a man in their community who's portraying himself in a certain way is going home and is physically abusive to his wife or sexually abusive or physically abusive to, to a young minor. You know, they're, they're going to see the Wizard of Oz. They're going to see behind the, the curtain. And I really want to say, if you listen to this, it's okay to, to get help because, as me and Jared said, a lot of these things, but the body isn't designed to, to deal with that level of, of trauma. That, that is well said. And so lastly then, before we start to wrap up, um, what can church safety teams do to support their police chaplains? Because I feel like a lot of a lot of churches will most probably have a chaplain. Their safety team might not know, but what, what support can they give you? First of all, it is extraordinarily helpful if the church gives permission to, oh, let me back up, a lot of police chaplains work in a church. That's their day job. Because unlike hospital chaplains, where there might be a paid position, most police departments, if they even have a chaplain, it's a volunteer position. And so there's no pay, which means there's a day job. And so a lot of, of police chaplains work in a church. And so if the church leadership can support that work, that is a way to get your minister out into the field, get him out into the world, building connections with people. A lot of first responders do not go to church, and and that is a good way for him to or him or her to minister to people that are outside the church. And so you have to support that. You can't keep your pastor so busy inside the four walls of the church building that he can't ever go out and meet people. And so if you can just support the work of people who are already chaplains. And then if people who are in the church would just ask themselves the question, am I willing to go love sometimes unlovable first responders? A first responder will push you away to see if you can be pushed away because they feel alienated. But what if you as a lay person and maybe you're involved in your church security team or what have you, but, but you're not, you didn't go to seminary. Would you consider doing the training to become a police chaplain and spending several hours each week or each month to go to the police department or to the fire department and spend time with these first responders and to keep showing up for months and for years? Because lots of people drop by the police station, drop off a tub of popcorn or, or a gift or something like that. And that's appreciated. But will you keep coming back to build relationships? If you build relationships proactively, you might make a dent in the divorce rate, the alcoholism rate, the suicide rate, and you could literally save lives. But a lot of people are not willing to do the work. Um, the fields are white for harvest, but, but the workers are few. And so if people would consider 
exploring this. There are people, there are all sorts of places around the country that train police chaplains and fire chaplains. And so the training is available, but people with the time to do it are not available. And so, so we need more of those people. And if you did something like, how can you help me right now, man, I need another, you know, not very many, maybe 10,000 more chaplains uh, in the United States, that would make me happy if we could raise up 10,000 more police chaplains and, and spread them out across the various agencies, small and large, that would make me happy. I was thinking of my friend, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. It's a passage within Isaiah that he uses where it says, send me. You know, I think if yes. there's anyone listening Jeremiah, that's feeling compelled, me. is that what it is, Jeremiah 7, 8? Yes, send me. If anyone's feeling um, compelled, uh, I'm sure we can leave your contact details, Jared, in the notes so they can, they can yep. reach out to you. So, Jared, I mean, it's been a really interesting conversation, not something that I've really heard on a church security podcast before, but there is a strong it's correlation. closely between- related. Yes, it is very yeah. closely related, and yeah. and also these, as I always say, for me, security is ministry. These are the very people that we're trying to help. Just an acknowledgement that yes, law enforcement are troubled right now, but there's there's men and women behind the badge that are serving tirelessly, um, and they're giving a lot of themselves to to this occupation. Because what thing I well, what I can say, having served, is it takes, 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 and it gives very little. Um, it really does. It's a big beast that will, will, will eat, you, eat you up and, and spit you out. So, well, well Jared, um, thank you for, for joining me. I'm sure at some point we'll we'll do another conversation on this, but it's, it's been riveting and really interesting to get your perspective. Well, that was a really interesting conversation with Jared. I hope you got something from it. There is a lot of pressure on our law enforcement officers and perhaps right now we're not giving them the respect that they they deserve so as jared mentioned if perhaps in that passage in isaiah send me if that's resonated with you i'll leave jared's details below and then please reach out to him or reach out to your local police department and say what can i do to help you but for now you stay safe you have a blessed day i'll see you next time take care everybody (laughs) 